So if you are visiting here with us for the first time, glad to have you. Uh, you can submit a question through the comment section. We wanna take a look at it through the lens of scripture. Our desire is to know what God's word says so we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the word of God. Uh, we have a question from Jari. Jari says, will the Antichrist come right on the scene after the rapture or will the famine and war come first, then Antichrist comes and save the day in Revelation chronological order? All right, so Jari, let me go ahead and take you to, if I can get these working, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, all right, let me go ahead and put this up on the screen for you. I think I've got at least something going here. All right, so it might be a little bit small, but you guys may be able to read it. It says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered to him. So this is concerning Jesus coming to the earth to gather his church. Now, there are different ideas, pre, post, mid. This is an in-house discussion. It's only a three and a half, seven year difference in what you're believing. A lot of the other beliefs are correct. For the people that say there's no rapture, they're just not studying the Bible. The Bible clearly teaches us that there is a rapture. They are, just because the word rapture is in the Bible doesn't mean it's not there. That's like an elementary level argument uh, because the principles are clearly taught in the scripture. So the gathering together to him, which I like better than the, the name rapture, I like the name the gathering because he's gonna gather us. He says, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not become so, um, to not become unsettled or alarmed by teachings from us, where whether we prophesy by word or by mouth or by letter, ascertaining that the day of the Lord has come. So the first thing that he tells them is not to be concerned from when you get a letter as if it's from us or a prophecy by someone that they are in the day of the Lord, that the day of the Lord has come. That's the concern that they have here in 2 Thessalonians. And then in chapter, in chapter 3, it says, uh, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for the day will not come unless the rebellion occurs, uh, unless the rebellion occurs and the lawless one is revealed. So the King James says, unless the rebellion happens first, but the day of the Lord is gonna come until there's a rebellion. Now, the word rebellion here is the word um, apocrypha. I mean, excuse me, is the word um, is the word apostasia. And apostasia means to leave. And so some believe that what's being said here is the rapture of the church. That the rapture has to happen. And as it says in the King James or New King James, that the rapture has to happen first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. So if you were in the tribulation period, the apostasia or the rebellion would have happened or be happening and the man of sin would be revealed. So that you know you are not in the tribulation period if the man of sin isn't revealed. It doesn't mean that he has to be revealed first because some try to use this as a justification for mid-trib and post-trib. It just simply says revealed. It says the only thing that has to happen first, even by the New King James Standard or by by um, certain manuscripts, is the falling away. And I'm going to go ahead and pull this up on my Strong's here, and we'll take a look at what that word is. Second Thessalonians two, and I'll read it. Um, I'll put it up here and read it to you. Here it says, um, 
This is the King James. Now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit or by word nor by letter, as if from us, but the day of the Lord of Christ had come. So again, people are telling them they're in the rapture. I have people tell me that all the time. And my response to them is, where's the Antichrist? Let no one deceive you by any means that day shall not come except the falling away comes first, or unless they'll come a falling away first. The only thing that has to happen first here is the falling away. Now I'm gonna go ahead and click on that word for falling away. And you can see there it's apostasia. So it's in the feminine, I'm not sure what that means. Definition from truth, apostasy, falling away to forsake. So some believe that this word is being used to talk about the rapture, that the rapture has to happen first, and then the man of sin will be revealed, and that the man of sin would be revealed, the son of tradition, and it goes on to talk about him. So we know that we are not in the rapture because we have not had the man of sin revealed yet, and that's the order. What we, we don't know when the Gog and Magog war is going to happen exactly, but we believe it's being set up to right now. We see the stage set for it, and it could happen at any moment, but it's going to happen before the rapture or after the rapture. We don't know. Uh, I believe that, that because it says that he will keep us out of the hour of testing and we are pray, to pray that we be kind of worthy to escape all of these things that are going to come upon the earth, that it is going to, that we are not going into God's judgment as the church. He's not mad at us. He doesn't want to beat us up before he takes us up into heaven to have the marriage supper of the Lamb because the tribulation period is the wrath of the Lamb. It's God's wrath that's being poured down on the earth. Some want to distinguish between the first and the second half of the tribulation period, the first not being God's wrath and the second being God's wrath. But the, very, the tribulation period starts with the breaking of the first seal and the Antichrist coming forth. And the breaking of the first seal is the Lamb of God that breaks the first seal and sends uh, out the Antichrist and the four horsemen and the whole thing gets rolling on. Uh, we are in now a study of the book of Revelation. Tonight, um, next Wednesday night, we're gonna be looking at the church of Sardis. Tonight, we're looking at Jesus being arrested in the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and we will continue on and we'll be getting to those passages that are gonna give us some clarity as to what the Bible has to say about the events and when they'll happen. Some of them we don't know but we know a few things and one of them is that we are not in uh the rapture or we're not in the tribulation period right now all right so thank you very much uh jari i appreciate your question so um we have a, a question from uh, i don't know quite how to pronounce your name here uh deidra close enough all right deidra deidra says why is there no uh, kneeling in churches today without devolving into politics. Any thoughts on sharing a message on God's standards in leadership? Yeah, and actually we do have a, we do have a video on it. It is, interestingly enough, the video on YouTube, which has gotten the most views, is one on leadership. Keith, can you put that up there? Um, if you go to our YouTube page, we've got favorite videos, and the very first one that's on there is the leadership video because it just caught traction. And um, we've done some other teachings on leadership as well that haven't caught traction traction quite as well as that one has, but we know people are interested in it. 
it was put up a couple years ago and still gets a few views every day. So yeah, no, I, anytime that I come across leadership things within the church, I talk about Christian leadership that as Christians, we are not to rule over people. We're not to Lord over people, but we are to be a servant of all. You want to be great in the kingdom of God. You learn to be a servant of all. And so you're serving people as a leader. Uh, we could talk about second Peter. There's a lot of different things we can. So yes. Um, why is there no kneeling in churches today? Um, I'm going to say, I, I would say there's not no kneeling in churches today. Why do certain churches not kneel? Maybe a better way to ask, ask that question. Cause there's a lot of churches where people are kneeling today. Um, I grew up in the Methodist church and we, we kneeled. Um, and I don't know whether Methodist churches do that. The Methodist church that I grew up in, we did. Catholic churches kneel. Um, the church I pastor now, Calvary Chapel of Tucson, some people kneel every once in a while during worship. Someone will come up to the stairs, which is a stage and not an altar. An altar was a place you gave a sacrifice. Um, it was a, like a big giant grill and you burn the sacrifices on top of it. Um, so today there's a confusion. People are come up to the altar. So come up to the stage and, and recommit your life to Christ. If you want to use the stage as an altar, I could do an air quotes to sacrifice your life to Christ or recommit your life to Christ. You can do that. It's just not really an altar. Um, but th the reason is, is because we're, we're never given a liturgy in, in the scriptures, uh, Deidre, never. So the Bible doesn't tell us when you get together for church, then kneel, or it doesn't tell us certain things. We do know the Bible says, I would that men everywhere would lift up holy hands and pray. And that's something that we do regularly because Paul gave that encouragement to lift up our hands made holy by the blood of the lamb to pray. But you get a lot of tradition and your church is either going to work in tradition with the scriptures. And when it comes to kneeling, you could have a church that is following the Bible completely and they could set up kneeling. Like you might have a church, you know, somewhere in another part of the world where they planted a church and they're going through the scriptures and sola scriptura, that's the Bible alone, but they say, let's kneel and pray. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with kneeling and praying, nothing wrong with kneeling during a service. It's just, it's just something that, for example, the church that I pastor that we don't do. And now you may be coming from an Anglican background, an Orthodox background, Greek Orthodox background, a Catholic background, churches that do a lot of kneeling and wondering why in evangelical churches or churches like Calvary Chapel or like, you know, the um, Southern Baptist Convention, why they don't kneel. It's because it's just not found in scripture. We're just never given a command to do that. So that is why we wouldn't do it. All right. So uh, thank you guys for being here today. I do want to say I had a little rough start to this, um, had a couple of issues. I still think my scriptures on my phone are not working. Let me see if that's the truth. I'm going to try to, um, I'm going to try to, I don't know why they're making me sign in here. I'm going to try to do that again one more time. Uh, but it is really good to have you guys here, and I hope that you are blessed by the time uh, that we spend today in the Word of God. Now, one thing that I've been asking is that our comment section 
would remain more on point. And all I mean by that is that as we interact with one another, we're talking a little bit more about what things are happening. It doesn't mean uh, that you can't be silly. It doesn't mean that you can't, you know, razz one another once in a while. I think that's great. But when it turns into all of that, remember the comments are up while the picture is up and you can turn those comments off, I think, in most in most applications. Uh, but it's better if you guys are on point and then we can get some answers. Um, even if I'm, maybe I, I miss a scripture and you guys have it, or you have something that you want to add to it. So I'm just encouraging you here for a little while that you would be a little bit more, uh, plugged in, uh, to the, the, on, on, on point to what we're talking about. All right. So, um, we have a question from Sally. Sally says, how does one answer the flat earth proponents? Have you noticed there are more and more Christian flat earthers? I have not noticed that. Doesn't mean that they're not out there. Doesn't mean that there might not be some watching here today that believe that the earth is flat. Uh, I am so far away from conspiracy theories. I'm not a, con I, I just, I, I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure I'm so far away that I miss some of them but I believe we landed on the moon. <clears throat> I believe the earth is round. I don't believe anybody's hiding something that big from you. I think there are some governments that are doing some things that are really weird and not telling their people what they're doing. Um, but how do I answer a flat earth proponent? Here, here's the, the, the answer to that, Sally. I don't. It doesn't matter to me if someone I'm talking to, to is a flat earther. If they say the earth is flat, I'm like, okay, wow, good, okay, great. I think it's not. But what's, uh, let's talk about something else. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, 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 have no, I have no desire to correct anyone on something like if the earth's flat or not. I just don't have any desire to engage. There's so many more things that are so important that we could be talking about that I want to spend my time studying on than to be able to talk with flat earthers and to convince them that the earth isn't flat. I know you're probably dealing with someone in your life who wants to talk about it and maybe wants to talk about it all the time. But I would say for me, I, I would avoid it. I think it's, it's, it's a non-issue and it doesn't matter with people's salvation. It doesn't matter with their walk with Christ, um, except maybe to encourage them to not let it consume all of their time. How, how much better to be studying God's word and finding out what God's word means and says, instead of trying to figure out whether or not the earth is flat and all of the arguments for it. I'm just not interested in it and um, don't think that we should. So it looks like some discussion here on the curse uh, and uh, uh, Kay saying uh, seems the curse involve, <clears throat> involves conflict over the God-given marriage roles. Adam and Eve both failed to uphold God's intended pattern for spiritual leadership, and it caused a great disaster in history. And I, I would agree with that. God gave, God created male and female, and he gave them dominion over the earth. So they were to rule and lead together. But then in the fallen earth, there are things that happened from the curse. The ground was cursed and it gave thorns and thistles, it would seem like there would now be a struggle between husbands and wives that would not have been there. Again, um, Adam represented all of mankind 
in the Garden of Eden. Jesus represented all of mankind in the Garden of Gethsemane. And knowing that we are not perfect and how do we take that into marriage? We wanna take the roles that God has given us and we wanna support the other person. The husband is supposed to love his wife as Christ loves the church and die for her. The wife is to submit, that's the word we don't like, submit and obey. And, and that doesn't mean that the guy gets the last say on whether or not you're gonna get that boat. It means that you're a leader, that you take leadership roles as a husband. And if you're a leader, then as, as the leader of a church, uh, of a staff, I, I want to encourage men and women to be as good with their gifts as they possibly can. And because some read passages like this and other ones and don't believe women have any role in leadership, you miss out on so much that women can do and also do use it as, as a kind of misogynistic role that takes place within the church. And it's just a mistake. And knowing that there's gonna be conflict within marriage, maybe that's good for um, us to talk about with men and women, that if there is gonna be some conflict in marriage and it seems like your her desire is gonna be for the man, but he's going to rule over her, that we talk about that, what that really means and how you can deal with that in your marriage. Because we know that marriage is under attack by the enemy. 50% of Christians end up getting divorced. All right, so um, thank you very much, Kay. I appreciate your input there. I think you're right. Um, Jari says, follow up the last uh, from last week. What is a false teaching? Or what if a false teaching works that God blesses you in spite of the false doctrine or the enemy so-called blessing you to believe a lie if you use the word of faith movement? All right, so let me know if I get this right, Jari. So you're asking, if I'm sitting in a word of faith teaching and they say, don't ever say you're sick because now you're speaking it into existence and you have creative power just like God did. And so when you say, I'm sick, now you're sick. So instead, if you're sick, you should say, I'm not sick or more like, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. She says, you should confess that. Um, and what if that works? What if somebody is feeling sick and, and they start going, I'm not sick. I'm not sick, and then all of a sudden, I'm not sick. Is that the enemy trying to use a false teaching to, to and, and, can, and will the enemy do that? Um, I, I don't know, I think we're giving way too much power to the enemy there. I think that this false teaching of positive, basically positive thinking uh, is has been around for so long. I remember as a youth pastor, which was in the early 80s, I remember uh, a, new, a new guy was hired as an assistant pastor at our church. Calvary Albuquerque. And he thought he was over the youth. He may have been originally, I don't know. It ended up not being that way, but he came in in the middle of a teaching and he sits down. And so I see him there and I wonder what he's doing because I've got the kids in there, we're teaching. He just comes in and sits down. And so I, I start to, to act like I'm teaching the faith movement. Like if your knee hurts and it really hurts, then don't say my knee hurts because then you're gonna be, your, your knee's gonna really hurt. You're speaking it into existence, but it said, say, my knee doesn't hurt. And as you do this, now you're believing that God has given you the prayer that you've asked for and your knee isn't going to hurt. And I see him look over him and I see him nodding his head. And I realize my little ruse isn't working 
And so I have to laugh and say, hey, you guys, um, uh, Skip is here and our Chip is here. Um, and that was his name. I think it was actually another Skip, not Skip Heising, but another one. Um, and he's, you know, and tell him he's a pastor, introduce him and tell him that I was fooling around and that that was a false teaching. And um, do I think the enemy could use it to cause somebody to be deceived? Maybe, Jari, it's not really anything that I've really thought about. Test the spirits behind things, and we don't want to give in to any false doctrine. And um, I have never heard of anything happening like that. Uh, Have I heard of people in churches that have false teachers leading them be touched by God? Yes. And more of that, I would say, would be God looking at the heart of the individual. Just because a, a false teacher is leading something and you're at a conference for a false teacher doesn't mean that God doesn't look at people's heart, meet people where they are, and then meet their needs. So I would say that's more of what's going on than the enemy trying to let a false doctrine work so that he can confuse you to think that you should accept it. I would think that God looks at people, has compassion on them, where a lot of times these false teachers don't. All right. So um, we have a question from Kay. Kay, good to see you. Good to have you here with us today. Kay says, question, is the new relation between Iran and Russia um, correlate with Ezekiel where Persia, Iran, and the big country that goes to the north, Russia, against Israel, is this before or after the Antichrist? So I'm not sure what the passage is in Ezekiel. Um, we're talking about like 36 through 39, somewhere in that area, and where it talks about the Gog and Magog wars. And yes, I would think that this new, this, never in history have Iran and Russia been aligned before, but now they are. And the Bible said that they would be. And so does this Gog and Magog war happen before or after the beginning of the tribulation period and the revelation of the Antichrist? We don't know. What is next on God's prophetic calendar? Some will act like they know it's the rapture of the church or it's the Gog and Magog war. Uh, It's the, you know, the beginning of the tribulation and the Antichrist being revealed. We don't know. Um, Maybe none of these things are going to happen for decades. And I know people are living like Jesus is coming back right now, but we are to occupy until he comes and to do the work that God has called us to do until he actually returns to us, uh, returns to get us. And so I'm not sure how exactly those things lay out, but the stage is set for the Gog and Magog war. Russia has a strong presence in Syria, which has a border with Israel. Russia invaded the Ukraine uh, that, and, and challenged its sovereignty. Well, Israel has its sovereignty challenged by a lot of people, by the UN especially. And will he cross that border? And at some point, Russia will do just that. Is it right around the corner or is it down the road? We don't know. We don't have any idea. But at some point, um, that will be done. All right, Uh, let's see. All right, so um, good to see you guys talking about the questions. That's awesome. I really appreciate you doing that. Um, 
So I'm just looking here for another question. If you're joining us for the first time, you have a question, uh, go ahead and write the word question out or put a question mark in front of it, write out your question, reread it a couple times, make sure that it makes sense. Um, I'm looking here and you know what? I think all I'm seeing quote is some things are really strange. Oh, there's a Facebook. Uh, I seen one Facebook out of all. So my feed is to bring in Facebook and YouTube. And all I'm seeing is YouTube. So that's really interesting. There, there seems to be some um, bugs in the system today. Had trouble signing on, finally got that figured out. Can't get my, my scriptures on my iPhone to work that I normally use. Uh, so all I'm really seeing is, is YouTube instead of Facebook, which I see a lot usually. So we'll have to do a little bit of troubleshooting before our Wednesday night um, uh, Q&A. So Albert says, regarding Luke 26, 36, are those taken people in hell and those in the millennial kingdom because it is the context of Jesus's words? The wicked were taken in the flood and in Sodom. Thank you. Albert, are you, are you sure it's Luke 26, 35? Let me pull that up. Uh, Luke 26, 35, 26. I'm just gonna go to Luke 26 and then I will, yeah, there's there's not a Luke 26. Um, are you talking about 17? Let me just, let me go to 17. I think you might be talking about 17, 26, let me see. So yeah, let's go, let's go there. So here's what I think. I think you're looking at 20 at 1726. So let's we'll just read it that right regarding Luke 1720, uh, 36. Well, yeah, you said 36. Um, yeah, I tell you two of them will be grinding. Yeah, 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 this, this is it. Okay. So let me go ahead and put this up on the screen for you. Um, and so you're, so there are those who say that this account and the count in Matthew are talking about the wicked being taken and leaving the righteous behind. And there are some scholars that started teaching this, gosh, a long time ago, 35 years ago, a long time ago. And so uh, here in Luke 17, it's one of the sections where Jesus is talking about the end of the world. Um, you've got Jesus heal someone with leprosy and then um, he, it's, it's the one that returns and gives thanks. And then it says, once one being asked by the Pharisees, um, or once on being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go up here and I'm gonna change from the New International Version, which I don't like, and I'm gonna go to the I'm going to go to the New King James Version, if I can find it here. There we go. Uh, New King James Version. Good. Now we're going to go back and we're going to read this. So um, here, are we there? We're New King James now? Nope, we're still New International. Am I having all kinds of problems today? All right, there we go. All right, so we come back again. Uh, so after we got after the lepers, right? Um, now, 
when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said to them, the kingdom of God does not come by observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for the kingdom of God is within you. So the kingdom of God is here within us now, but the kingdom of God is also in heaven. We are seated in heavenly places now, but we are also going to physically be seated in heavenly places. So that is the now and not yet that you find several times in scripture. Then in verse 22, then he said to his disciples, the day will not come to you. Um, the day, the days will come when you will desire to see the son of man and you will not see him. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after and follow them. For as the lightning flashes from one part of heaven, shines to another part under heaven, so will the son of man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by generations. And as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the son of man. Now, a lot of, a lot of people have made a lot of things out of that, that there were Nephilim, that just a lot of things. But he particularly tells us what it's about. He says, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, let me ask you a question. Who got destroyed? Those who were still on the earth. So the ark floated above on the water, was lifted up, and the ark was is a representation of Christ who protected these eight people from the destruction. So as it was in the days of Noah, they ate and they drank and they married right into the day that sudden destruction happened to them. Now, this let's just think about that. This can't be the end of the tribulation period. If you're gonna to try to say the rapture of the church is going to happen at the end of the tribulation period, is there any way that they are going to be like Noah in the days of the son of man? They eat, they drank, they married wives, and they were given a marriage. The third of mankind is destroyed, the fourth of mankind is destroyed. The waters turned into blood, creatures have been attacking people, 75 pound hailstones, all kinds of other horrible disasters. And you're like, here's my invitation. I'd like you to come over and celebrate me and my wife getting married. I don't think any of that'll be happening. I don't even think it'll be happening in the middle of the tribulation period. Uh, this tells us that there's no major signs that make us think we're at the end of the age. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So who was destroyed? The people in Sodom and Gomorrah. They were the ones destroyed. And, and Lot, and his family were taken by the hand and were left out of the angels. But his point is still, likewise, also days thought they ate, they drank, they brought. So in the, the day it happened, the day the sudden destruction came upon them, the day the tribulation period will come upon them, everything will be happening and going on as normal. And, and then the, um, they're destroyed, but Lot is taken out of the city. So what makes us think that somehow those who are destroyed in the tribulation period are, are going to be raptured at the end or there's an event a reverse rapture where all the wicked are taken away and all the righteous remain there, there's nothing biblically like that and it just amazes me that people will even go there when you're reading these passages in their context uh it goes on to say in that day he was on the housetop and his goods are in the house let him not go down and take them away and likewise the one who was in the field let him not turn back remember lot's wife Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken away and the other one left. No, nothing funny going on there. Two women will be grinding together, grinding grain together. The one will be taken and the other one left. 
two men will be in the field, one will be taken, another one left. Well, in Noah, the righteous were taken. In Sodom and Gomorrah, the righteous were taken. So those who will be taken here will be the righteous. In the rapture of the church, as it tells us in 1 Thessalonians and in 1 Corinthians 15, that will be changed in a moment to the line. We will meet the Lord to be in the air forever, be with the Lord in the air. We don't ever have a reverse rapture. And I I listen to what people say. I listen to I, I listen to them explain their position on this. And I always think they come up short. I just don't see them giving a clear explanation of what they think the destruction is. I hear what they say, this is reversed, and and but what it what happens? What are you trying to say happens here? It doesn't seem like there's anything that could really be happening uh, like that. All right, so um, we have just a couple more minutes. Uh, let's see if we got another question here. Thank you, Albert, for your question. I do appreciate that. And uh, let's see. So again, good to, good to have you guys here today. We have follow-up. All right, so let's go, go ahead and bring Kimberly in. Uh, Empress Kimberly, good to see you. Follow-up, don't you think the teachers and leaders of false teachings will be held accountable and not the sheep that are under their care? Uh, yeah, that's a really good, um, a good response there, Empress Kimberly. Certainly higher, even true teachers. The Bible says, let not many of you desire to be teachers because you will give a stricter account. So it's a scary thing for pastors, teachers, people that do what I do, because we have to give an account for what we say. And so let not many of you desire that, it says. Uh, but Jesus said, take heed that you are not deceived. And over and over again in the scriptures, we get statements like that. We get it from Paul in Galatians to the Galatians who were being deceived by the legalists who were trying to tell them that they had to live under the law. And Paul warned them not to be deceived. And they were deceived and they will be held accountable for their deception. So yes, you have to seek the truth. You can't, can't as a Christian, Kimberly, go, well, you know, I'm just going to listen to it and they're going to be judged. I'm just going to go and take in whatever they said. And I don't think you do that, but I'm just saying you can't do that because God's going to hold you accountable for what you do. You are responsible for knowing the truth. It's you in your armor that puts on the belt of truth. It's you that will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the consequences of believing a false doctrine can be very severe. And so we want to stay as far away from them as we possibly can. So the responsibility is on us. Be careful that you are not deceived, for many false Christs are going to go out into the world. Uh, many false teachers are going to go out in the world. And, and we have these warnings of Scripture. It's not, there are plenty of warnings against these false teachers, and they will answer to God in a higher way than someone who has been deceived. But don't let yourself be deceived. You have the ability to be able to do that because Jesus says, don't be deceived. People are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. So it's not an and or. God's going to hold either the false teachers accountable or those who have listened to the false teaching and have been applying them. Which one of those is God going to punish? It's a both. He's going to punish both of them. He, he will discipline his child who's believing that false doctrine or he will, and he will discipline that person 
who's bringing the false teaching. I would not want to be one that is deliberately misleading people when, when I have to stand before God. I understand that, that some things that I may teach, I mean, I change my mind on things that I teach because I'm studying the scriptures and I see things, I look at them, I go, hey man, this looks, you know, I, I believe this, but I think that this is what the real truth is. So I'll change my mind on it. But if you deliberately deceive, I think there is a, a problem. So um, I, I appreciate you guys. It is uh, almost five o'clock. We're gonna go ahead and wrap things up now. Love you. I see a few more questions here. I'll get this question log and we will uh, take a look at them to, to look at our questions before. Hopefully we won't have um, any more. Um, I'll just take a look at this again, see what's happening here. Yep. So it's good to see you guys. So, um, oh, nice. All right. All right. So it is good to see you guys and to have you here. I appreciate you. I appreciate all you guys. I see some Facebook stuff here. That's good. Um, mostly YouTube doesn't look like some of the face stuff is working. Um, Facebook stuff is working. We have a service in an hour from now. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Luke and we will be, we will be talking about Jesus being arrested in the garden of Gethsemane and what we can learn from that lessons that we can learn from that. It's a really powerful study as Jesus protects his disciples and also calls the time that they're in darkness. So I do appreciate you guys. Sorry for about the technical difficulties today. I'll do my best to get the technical difficulties out of here, all right? Love you, and it's good to have you here. Stay close to Jesus. Serve him, follow him, search his word out uh, because it allows us to be equipped for every good work that God wants us uh, to have in our lives, all right? So I'm out. We will see you guys uh, in about an hour. If you want to join us online or live, if you're here in Tucson, we have two campuses. We'll have two services, 6 o'clock at 7.15. The 6 o'clock service is the one that is live online. All right. Love you guys. God bless you. We will see you later on.